I hope you guys had a good uh, 4th of July holiday. Uh, the 4th of July is a fun event uh, for Haley and I because not only do we celebrate that holiday, but the 4th of July is her mom's birthday, and then the day after, the 5th, is her brother's birthday. So not only is it a holiday that we get to spend and everyone has off work, uh, but it turns into just getting together with family and celebrating those birthdays. And then the week got even a little bit better for me because on the 3rd, I got to go down to the amphitheater in Bonner Springs and see one of my favorite bands play a concert there, and that is the Avett Brothers. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, my favorite band of all time. Um, so when I went to see them on the third, that was my sixth time seeing them. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I was able to go with one of my friends um, from a former life group, which was really fun too. Um, but for the Avid Brothers, some of the reasons that I like them is, first, their music style. Uh, they grew up in North Carolina, so they have a lot of uh, bluegrass folk influence. Um, their band is comprised of acoustic instruments, uh, banjo, upright bass. And so I really like the, the music aspect of it, uh, but I also really enjoy the content of their lyrics. Uh, they sing a lot of uh, just about life. Uh, one time they described their music or their concerts as they're just singing their journal entries to the crowd. Um, they sing about uh, the birth of their children, uh, their ups and downs that they've gone through in life. Um, but another thing that uh, is interesting about the Avid Brothers is I attribute um, my guitar playing and my banjo playing to them. Uh, I've never met them, but I would say that they taught me more about guitar and banjo than anyone else. Uh, that is because uh, I just get on YouTube or I listen to their music and I just imitate whatever I see or hear them do. And so, uh, yeah, I've never had a guitar lesson, never had a banjo lesson, but I just listen to them and follow and emulate what they do. Uh, and so, and all through, uh, like I studied music in college, uh, played music for 20 years. Uh, a lot of the times uh, in my studies and my classes, uh, I studied jazz drums for a long time my professors would just say, find a jazz drummer that you really like and imitate what he does. Find his solos, play them note for note, and you'll become a better drummer. So in the music world, that's what we see happen all the time. It's just imitating what we see other people do. And we do that in other areas of our life as well. We see people that we look up to, and we imitate and emulate the things that they do. And that's what we're talking about uh, this morning Paul is ending this section in 1 Corinthians talking about what it means to live a life worthy of imitation. And so the church in Corinth, they're having problems, as I said earlier, uh, bringing the gospel into their everyday life. They're not sure how to straighten out their thoughts and unite them within the church in a way that is worthy of imitation. Uh, and Paul's main point as he wraps up this section is that uh, the Christian life can be lived in a way that would benefit others and glorify God. So if you have uh, your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, there's also Bibles in front of you, uh, or should be near you in the chairs in front of you. Uh, you can also download the Waluva app, and you can follow along in the message uh, today with that as well. Uh, we're going to be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 23, and then we're going to end in uh, the first verse of chapter 11. So starting in verse 23, Paul says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising 
question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so in verse 23, Paul starts this section uh, with a phrase that might sound a little familiar to us. If, we, if you've been with us in our study on 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 6, he also says, all things are lawful, not all things are helpful. And this time he adds, not all things build up. And so that, that is the first question we're going to ask this morning during our time together, is are you building up others? And if you look at this first statement from Paul, you'll notice that when he says all things are lawful, there's quotations around that. And this is because there's been this correspondence happening between Paul and the church in Corinth. And so as he's writing back to them, he's stating the very things that they once said to him. So he's addressing their questions, he's addressing their comments that they have. But by saying that, the church is in this kind of mindset of all things are lawful, it's kind of this anything goes mindset. And so the, the city of, of Corinth had a lot of different cultures coming in that were influencing this. And because of that, they were coming into the church, and there was disunity on what was to happen on certain issues that were happening in the culture. And so Paul's goal right here is to unite them in their thinking and how they're supposed to approach these issues. Uh, he's seeing that uh, right now they're thinking about the individual, but he wants them to think about the brothers and sisters in Christ within their church. And this really isn't new. If you've been with us uh, back when we started our study on 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, uh, in verse 10, Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. So he starts off that letter just saying he wants them to agree with each other. And then he goes on and says that there would be no division among you and that you would be united in the same mind in the same judgment. So right here in verse 23, Paul, he continues this plea that we should build up others, and it's not about the individual. Even though that they have the right to do these things, Paul says that really doesn't matter. And so again, he instructs them in verse 24 to do the same thing, to not seek the good of yourself, but the good of others and the good of the church. And then Paul gets to what is really being addressed with this issue in verse 25, which is food. So the Corinthian church had uh, this disunity on what was to be done with food that was once uh, sacrificed in the temple during pagan worship uh, to pagan idols. Um, we talked about this earlier already in chapter 8, um, but just as a refresher, uh, some people in this group thought that uh, if they were to partake in this and eat this meat, that they could possibly be possessed by demons somehow. Uh, another group, uh, they just didn't want to be associated with it at all, so they thought we shouldn't be eating this meat. Uh, and then there was this other group that thought, well, pagan worship doesn't really 
hold any real power because they know who God is, and so they feel like they should be able to freely eat this meat. Uh, and Paul gives them this answer uh, that helps the third group know that they're right. Um, and he basically says that if you understand that there's no power behind these pagan gods, then you should be free to eat it. And he answers them by quoting Psalm 24. And he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So what he's basically doing is he's just reminding them that God is the ultimate creator, and therefore he's the creator of this food. So he's saying, you're free to enjoy this food and be thankful to God for it. But then Paul gets to a different issue that is coming up in the Corinthian church when we get to verse 27. It's the situation of, what if we're invited to the house of an unbeliever and there's food there, that was previously in the temple sacrificed to idols. In this situation, Paul is saying, if there's a knowledgeable, mature Christian that understands they have the right to do this, but they also know that it's from God, if they're in the witness of people that uh, won't fall into sin because of it, then they're free to eat the meat. They understand that they have the right to do it. But, Paul is saying, what if there's people around that could misunderstand or not uh, understand what's going on and they don't know the actions of the mature, knowledgeable Christian? It's the question of what if someone is watching? He says, in that case, if a younger Christian is watching, you shouldn't eat the meat. Now, in this case, for the Corinthian church, uh, younger Christians could have possibly come from this background of pagan worship, and so seeing someone eat this meat could be really confusing for them and cause them to go back into their old ways of pagan worship. So Paul is answering them and saying, no, you shouldn't eat the meat, so that no one says, okay, so I see this Christian, they worship Jesus, and because they eat the meat, they also worship these other gods as well. That could lead someone back into their old ways or lead someone into sin, and he says, you shouldn't do that. You know you have the right to eat this meat, but you need to think about your brother and sister in Christ more than yourself. Look at verse uh, 28, the second half of it. Uh, he says that we shouldn't do this for the sake of the one who informed you. For the sake of our brother and sister, we should make that decision. We should love Jesus and love people more than ourselves and not mislead anyone into those temptations or, or stumble into worshiping false gods. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could apply this to today. We've heard a few within this series. Uh, one thing that I was thinking about this week is entertainment, um, thinking about how we binge shows on Netflix and Hulu, and we spend a lot of time doing those things. Um, and specifically, I thought of the show Game of Thrones. Uh, I haven't seen that show, um, but through talking with people or seeing things online, I know that it's not uh, a very wholesome and uplifting show, uh, the content that comes from it. Uh, but there's a pastor I follow named Matt Chandler. Uh, I really like listening to his sermons. I've read a couple of his books. Um, he leads a church down in Texas, uh, thousands of people. And so one time in one of his sermons, he stated that he does watch Game of Thrones. But when he watches it, he uses uh, this app called PureFlix, which edits out some of the content that you don't want to see. So you can go in there and say, I don't want to see violence, uh, 
nudity, uh, language, different things, and so it edits out those things that we don't want to see. Um, and so that's his way of watching it and uh, being free from those things. But I was thinking, what if Matt Chandler says that? He says, I watched Game of Thrones, but in this church of a thousand people, there's going to be new Christians that think, oh, so if my pastor watches Game of Thrones, I can watch Game of Thrones too, right? But in that case, there could be uh, different people that, in watching Game of Thrones, could lead down this path that would bring them back into sins that they once were caught in, or different things like that. And so we have to be careful about the choices we make and how we say those things to other people, because they affect other people. And I really believe that the, the issue that Paul is talking about in this passage is really a matter of worship. It's a matter of worshiping ourselves and our own personal freedoms and our comfort, or it's about worshiping God and serving Him, loving Him, and loving other people. Uh, for the Corinthian church, they were kind of stuck in this mode of uh, themselves. It was all about the knowledge and the rights that they had to act upon these things. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says that this type of knowledge, it puffs up. It leads us to be prideful. And then he goes on to say that love builds up. So for Paul, this whole issue that we're talking about, it's a matter of love and freedom. Because love and freedom, it leads to edification and the building up of others. And so love and unity is what Paul is striving for. That he, that's what he wants the Corinthian church to come to together as they serve one another. And so this morning, we can ask that question, are we building up others and our actions in the way that we treat other people? So we must consider what is right in regards to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not just ourselves. And so this overarching question that we have this morning of who is watching, in this first section, that could be answered everyone. Everyone is watching, but we also could answer it the younger Christian in this case. The younger Christian is watching the patterns and the ways of life of the more mature, knowledgeable Christian to know how to live their life. And then Paul goes on in verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many they may be saved. And so the next question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning is how are we glorifying God? How are we glorifying God? And just like the first question, I believe that this is also a question of worship. It's a matter of worship. Uh, worship is uh, the act of ascribing worth to something, and so this can be demonstrated in a multitude of ways. Um, I'm going to say this, and uh, I don't know if this affects my job security here at all, uh, but worship is not just what happens on a Sunday morning. Music isn't, or music is not worship. Music and worship, those two words kind of get confused and go back and forth in this day and age. Uh, worship is not just music. Uh, coming together and singing, uh, preaching, communion, all of those things are worship. But Paul is saying that we can take those things that happen here and put them into our everyday tasks that happen in our lives outside of this building. And I think the Bible is pretty clear that worship is a lifestyle. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, in John 4 with the woman at the well. 
And so Jesus is traveling along with his disciples. Uh, if you look at a map, you can see where they're headed, and they're taking, they could take like this straight path, but instead they kind of veer off a little bit. And as they're doing that, uh, Jesus gets a little hungry, he's a little tired, and he asks his disciples, hey, could you guys go into town and get some lunch? I'm just going to wait here next to this well. I'll see you guys in a little bit. So they go off. Jesus is sitting there, and uh, a Samaritan woman comes by, and uh, it's kind of interesting about this interaction because it's the middle of the day, and this woman is going to the well. Uh, First off, you would never see anyone do that because the middle of the day, it's hot. Uh, People would gather their water in the morning just to get ready for their day when it's cooler. Uh, And another thing is this Samaritan woman is coming to the well and starts interacting with Jesus, who is a Jewish man, And in that day and age, those two things did not go together. Uh, Those two cultures, they did not talk to each other. And so uh, I believe that this interaction was appointed by God, and we get to uh, see it all happen in Scripture. Um, But what happens is this woman is starting to figure out who Jesus is as she asks these questions. Um, She thinks that he's a prophet because he starts saying things about her life that no one else knows. And then she comes to the place where she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And they start talking uh, about worship, and she thinks that you need to worship at this certain place at this certain time, but Jesus says that's not how it is anymore. And so in John 4, verse 23, he says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So first, if we talk about worshiping in truth, that means that we need to understand who God is. This can't be the God that we make up. We can't worship the God that we fit into our ideal version of who we want God to be, but instead we have to know who God is. We have to know who we are worshiping. And I think that is best done by opening his word as he reveals himself to us. We can understand him more and more. And so I think the more that we know who God is, the better we can worship him. But this other part, a true worshiper uh, worships in spirit. I think that one can kind of seem confusing a little bit. Uh, But if we look at Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is saying that the way that we present our bodies each day as a living sacrifice, that is simply an act of worship. Now, if we go back to uh, our passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He ends it with saying, whatever you do. So there's no wiggle room right here. He says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This reminds me of a a passage in the Old Testament. Uh, Right after God gives uh, his people the law, the Ten Commandments, um, he's using that to show them how to have the deepest, fullest life possible if they would uh, obey and follow these commands. And then he instructs them to teach them to their children. So in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 7, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. 
All right, I'm going to need a little bit of participation real quick. I don't know if you were expecting this. It's simple. We can do this. All you have to do is raise your hand. I'm going to ask a question. How many of you plan to sit down in your house today? Or not even in your house. You just plan on sitting down. Everyone should be raising your hand because you're sitting right now, right? It might, you can just leave your hand up, maybe. It's, it's probably going to be up on this next question. Um, how many of you plan on leaving the worship center at the end of service today? Okay. No one's planning on staying the night. Um, how many of you plan on either taking a nap this afternoon or going to sleep tonight? Okay. Uh, first service, I had someone do two hands, the nap and going to sleep. That's an option, too. Um, and... Lord willing, do you hope to wake up from your nap or tomorrow morning? Okay, if you raise your hand on all of those, you have no excuse. Both of these passages are saying that throughout our day, we have the opportunity to talk about God, to live our lives in a way that worships Him. Um, in thinking about this, uh, Haley and I have a new addition to our family, which I have, I, I'll find any excuse to show a picture of my daughter. Um, so she just turned two months old, and uh, Haley and I were recently talking about the influence that we have on her life. Uh, we were talking about how we have memories of growing up in our own house, memories of uh, spending time with our parents, uh, doing things around the house, and how now the house that we live in, in Lansing, she's going to form those same types of memories there when she spends time with us. But each day, I have the opportunity to sit with her, to eventually walk with her. Every night, we will put her to bed. Right now, she's not sleeping very much, but we still try. <laughs> and then, we will wake up. In each of those moments, I have the opportunity, Haley has the opportunity, to demonstrate how we worship God in every single one of those tasks we have the opportunity to show her how to worship God. And this idea was uh, kind of new to me when I became a Christian. Uh, I became a Christian early on in college, and so I did not grow up uh, naturally worshiping God or doing these things or having these things demonstrated throughout my day. Uh, and I, this is still something that I'm working on day by day, uh, but I want to give us a few ways that we can worship God throughout our day. Uh, the first one would be godly speech or just how we talk, how we speak to others. Uh, every time that we speak, we do have the opportunity to worship God. And worship starts in our hearts as a love for God, and it overflows from there. Uh, Matthew 12, 34, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our hearts, is what, that's what directs our worship. And so if we are taking the time to align our hearts with God, uh, our speech should follow that. This could be uh, words of encouragement, uh, truth, speaking truth to people. Uh, it could be confessing sin, uh, words of gratefulness, words that build up others. All of these ways uh, glorify God, all of these ways of speaking. Uh, another thing that we can think about is the social media platform. Um, a lot of the times when I'm scrolling through there, uh, it's pretty rare that I come across uh, something that is pretty uplifting. Um, a lot of the time it's people arguing, uh, going back and forth. But as Christians, I believe that we have the opportunity to use social media as a platform for good, 
for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. Another thing that we can do throughout our day uh, is praise God in a specific way. Uh, You could call it specific praise to God. Uh, We react to things all day, every day, things that we enjoy. Uh, We respond to uh, God's creation, things that we see outside, uh, something happening in our life, something good happens. Um, We could simply uh, drink a Pepsi and react to it. Um, I gave up pop through the, the month of July, so I won't be doing that. Uh, which makes me a little sad. Um, but I, I'm thankful for LaCroix, which is the closest thing you can get to soda without drinking soda. Um, but instead of reacting to those things, saying cool or awesome, instead we could turn that into a thing that sa- we could say, praise God or, or thank you, God, in those moments. Uh, the Psalms give us great example of specific praise, and I like that Uh, Today we looked at Psalm 24 briefly, Uh, but if you look at Psalm 24, it starts off with, the earth is the Lord's. It's specifically saying that this creation, instead of just saying, cool, that's beautiful, which is a good thing to say, we can instead say, look at what God created. Uh, My mother-in-law is really good at this, and it's trickled down into Haley's life as well. just as we go on vacations or just driving around anywhere, um, they'll say, man, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that is a way to praise God specifically for his creation. Instead of just looking at creation, it can point us back to the creator and we can worship him through that. And I'm excited that we can pass that down to our daughter as well. Another way that we can worship throughout our day is through serving others. And this is really what Paul is talking about. Uh, This is uh, what he's talking about as we love others. Uh, And he's saying that our love for Jesus uh, should fuel how we are going to serve others. Uh, This could be meeting a need for someone, uh, buying someone coffee or lunch, asking them how they are doing, and not just a passing like, hey, how you doing? But it's a really like, no, how are you doing? Let's, Let's talk. Let's engage in this conversation. It could be helping someone with a project or giving them a ride. There's so many different ways that we can serve others in a way that shows that we love Jesus more than ourselves, and so we're going to love this person. And last, uh, another way that we can uh, praise God and glorify him throughout our day is through the faithful witness to other people. Uh, If we we go back to our story in John 4 of the woman at the well, uh, she realizes who Jesus is and that she can worship him at any place, in any time, and then we see her run back into town and tell all of her friends about Jesus. And what I love about that is she didn't take the time to uh, gather up all the answers or come to a place where she was like, I'm ready, I think I could really, you know, tell people about this, which we get into that habit. I've been there before. But instead, she just goes in there, tells all of her friends, look, come see this man and all the things that he has done. And I don't know how long that conversation lasted. I don't know, 20 minutes or so. But she was already ready to go in and tell people about Jesus. And so this act of uh, witnessing about Jesus, or uh, we call it evangelism, it's simply telling others about Jesus, and this can be done uh, just in front of people that don't know him, and simply talking about Jesus and talking about God and what they're doing in your life. And this list is small, and there's plenty of other examples that we could talk about. Um, But basically, Paul is saying, 
we can worship him throughout all of these tasks throughout our day. But then he gives a reason to doing that. Glorifying God is, is good, and we should be doing that. But he says these other things can happen as well. So in verse 33, he says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So again, Paul is directing us back to the heart of this passage, which is, it's about other people. And Paul is answering this question today of, who is watching anyways? It's the world, and it's everyone. And what I love about this passage is, Paul does not give specific instruction on how to share the gospel in this step-by-step method, uh, which is something that we should be doing. It's good to sit down with someone and share the gospel message with them. But he is just saying that if we live a life of worship, people will notice that, and they could come to a place where they would be saved because of it. And that brings us uh, to our last question today, which is, can others imitate me? Paul ends this section in chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And before we uh, go on, I want to look at this word, imitators. In the Greek, uh, the word is mimetes, which is where we get uh, our English word mimic. It's the root word there. Uh, In English, it just means we're going to imitate or emulate someone when we mimic them. Uh, But the definition in the Greek is this, uh, the positive imitation that arises by admiring the set pattern by someone worthy of emulation. I'm going to say that again. It is the positive imitation that arises by admiring the set pattern by someone worthy of imitation. So Paul does not leave himself as the ultimate example of someone worthy of emulation, But instead, he points the readers back to Jesus, and he's saying that Jesus is the one worthy of imitation. Another thing I like about this definition is that we are to admire the set pattern of whoever we're imitating. And so if we look at Jesus, we know that he came down to this earth uh, to live a life, uh, to die for us, and to uh, be raised so that we would have the opportunity to spend eternity with God But we can also look at uh, the patterns of life that we see throughout Scripture that are worthy of imitation. And so I'm going to share a few of those qualities that I see in Jesus. Uh, This isn't the end-all, be-all list of qualities, uh, but these are ones that I notice as I look at the life of Jesus. Uh, The first one is self-control. Before Jesus started his public ministry, uh, he was put on trials and uh, tempted by Satan, And we see him exhibit perfect self-control through all of these because of uh, his knowledge of Scripture and his goal of worshiping and loving and serving God alone. We also see uh, gentleness and patience from Jesus. Uh, Multiple times throughout the Gospel accounts, uh, Jesus interacts with children with gentleness. Uh, A lot of the times uh, we see the disciples doubt him these guys that spent three years following him, and he's continually teaching them these things. Uh, They doubt him, but he's patient with them through it all. Uh, The Pharisees, they attack him of the things that he's teaching, but he's patient with them as well. And just the crowds, he was followed by these huge crowds all the time, and he just couldn't seem to get away from them sometimes. But through all of that, he showed gentleness and patience. 
Jesus also led a life of prayer. He knew that it was important to spend time alone with God. So we see multiple times throughout Scripture, uh, he goes and uh, makes it a point to be by himself so that he could spend time with his Father. He knew that that one-on-one time was crucial for his life. Uh, Jesus also shows us humility. Uh, In John 13, uh, he gets down on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. And that might not uh, carry as much weight today as it did back then. Uh, They were traveling by foot wherever they went, uh, probably wearing sandals, going through sand and dirt and mud. And so to get down on your knees to wash someone's feet uh, was not a very clean task. And so he humbled himself before them and washed their feet. Uh, Jesus also shows compassion throughout his life. In Matthew 9, 36, he says, or it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I love this passage because we get a glimpse of how Jesus saw other people. And I believe that that is one of the driving forces of Jesus going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And so we have to see people in that same way. He had compassion on them, so he was able to serve them. Which is our next point. Jesus lived a life of service. Just in the same manner of humbling himself, he knew that he came down to this earth for a specific reason. Uh, In Mark 10, verse 45, says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. All of us have fallen short and sinned, and uh, we're not good at being who God called us to be. We fall short of that every day. We can't earn our own salvation, and so Jesus came down to serve us in this way, to give up his life so that we could have life with him for eternity. Jesus also showed commitment throughout his life. Now, he knew that God had a certain plan set in place for his life, and he was committed to it. Uh, He came down to this earth for a specific reason. And so when he was in the garden right before his capture, uh, he was down on his knees by himself, praying to God. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus, he knew what was about to happen, that he was going to go to the cross. At that moment, he was handed over and betrayed by one of his followers, one of his disciples. And then he was put on trial for things that were untrue about him. And throughout this entire event, he shows patience and self-control and gentleness. He's stripped of his clothes in front of crowds of people. And then they twist up a crown of thorns and place it on his head in order to mock him as the king, and they beat his body, and they wear him down to a point where they scrape his body off the floor, and then they give him a cross, which he carries to his own death. And when they get to that point, they lay him down, and they drive nails into his hands and his feet, and they raise him up to slowly die on the cross for us. Throughout this whole event, Jesus is committed to the plan that God has for him. And at that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, awaiting his death, watching people basically roll dice 
for the clothes that are divided up on the ground. He looks up and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus shows forgiveness throughout his entire ministry, but at this moment, we see forgiveness just exude from him. And I believe that all of these qualities that we see from Jesus can be wrapped up in one, and that is love. Everything that Jesus did on this earth was centered around the love that he had for God and the love he had for God's people. In 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So this is the ultimate example that, Jesus, or that Paul is pointing us back towards in chapter 11, verse 1, and it's Jesus. But I don't want to forget the fact that Paul also did emulate these things while he was on this earth. Uh, if we look at the end of his letter to the church in Galatia, uh, in chapter 6, verse 17, he says, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And this isn't the, the marks of the nails in his hands or his feet, uh, but Paul is referring back to the points in his life where he has been beaten and shipwrecked and sick, all for the sake of the gospel. He knew that the most important thing in his life was to share the gospel with people, because he loved God and he loved people more than himself. And so we need to ask this question to ourselves this morning, can others imitate me? I want to ask, do you feel comfortable with others following you in the same way that Paul so passionately mimics Christ and he instructs people to do the same and follow him? People will definitely notice the patterns in your life. So I ask, are they worth mimicking? And will they lead others into sin or salvation? And if someone started following you the moment you walk out this door and live your life, and they are to mimic you right now in everything that you do, what would their walk with Christ look like? We have to think about this as we go out from these doors, and people in this world are watching us as Christians. And this is part of my story as well. It's part of how I became a Christian. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and uh, I say that kind of loosely, um, I attended fairly regularly, but I did not give much uh, time or effort or energy into my relationship with God. I didn't spend my time trying to know Him better. Um, and so in late high school, early college, um, I just was living for myself. I was exploring new freedoms I had in college, and I was chasing after things that were unfulfilling. Uh, they were leading me down a path of uh, destruction, really, if I continued. Uh, and so during my first year of college, uh, I got asked to play drums for a band that uh, was formed at a Christian college in my hometown. Uh, one of my friends from high school played uh, electric guitar for that band, um, and they needed a drummer. He just quit, and they were getting ready to go play some gigs over the summer. They did not know if I believed in God, what I thought about God. They just knew that I played drums, and they needed someone to fill in. And so I said, yes, and our first gig was at uh, a buffalo farm in the middle of somewhere in Kansas. I'm not really sure. So I was 18, playing pop-punk music at a buffalo farm. It was great. Uh, after that, I 
continued to fill in for them every once in a while, eventually became uh, a full-time member of that band. Uh, and I have a picture of these guys that I want to show you. So this was uh, before the facial hair showed up. I was compensating and just putting it all on top. Um, slightly embarrassing, but there it is. So this is one of our, uh, our photos that we took when we were getting ready to, to re release one of our uh, little albums we had. Um, but when I look at this picture, I think of this time where uh, I was kind of in between two different lives. Um, I was, on a Friday night, out with my friends from college, uh, partying, chasing after things that were not good and wholesome, and so the next day, on Saturday, I would be with these three other guys uh, on campus at that college uh, leading worship for the student body. Those two things do not line up. I felt like I was living two different lives depending on the day. Uh, I had to put on a different face and act a different way because I just was trying to figure things out and I didn't know what was going on. And eventually, uh, through spending time with these guys, I look at this picture and I think of um, think of all the times where I saw people pray for the first time, and it was unscripted prayers. I saw people read the Bible outside of the church walls. Um, I remember back, we went to a music festival in Indianapolis, and I was rooming with Josh, uh, second to the left, and had a flashlight out reading the Bible before I went to bed. <laughs> I thought that was crazy. I witnessed these three guys um, through different relationships, love their girlfriends and their wives in a whole new way. I saw people show up to our worship events, giving their time and their energy into worshiping God over all of the other things they could be doing in their lives. So I was once the outsider looking in. I was the one watching what was going on in the church. But because of this, I became curious. I saw that my life was headed down destruction. Eventually I saw my need for Christ made him my king. And this wasn't because someone sat down and explicitly shared the gospel message with me, which I think is a really good thing. And I think we should be doing that. But it was simply because these three guys imperfectly lived a life that showed that they loved God and they loved people more than themselves. So to answer the question this morning, who is watching? Uh, the world is watching. So when we leave this morning, we must set an example so that others may know Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word Thank you that we can read it and know you better. Thank you that we can look to it for guidance on how we should live our lives to glorify you and to benefit others. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he went to the cross for us to pay the price for us that we could spend eternity with you. And we also thank you that he lived a life that is worthy of imitation. God, help us as we go out from here that we would imitate Christ and show Christ to this world. It's in his name.